Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Jody Fisher. This is the podcast for all dads who want to succeed with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. And here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Jody, how you doing? Hello, Paul. How are you? I'm doing well. Fantastic. Uh, another interesting week as we uh, go through uh, COVID. The kids are back in school. Um, work was okay. How was your week, Jody? Uh, week was uh, good. Good to be back. Uh, heard you had a great conversation last week with our buddy Paul Becker, uh, and uh, and I'm happy to be at, back on the mic this week. Very cool. Yes, we, we had a lot of fun with Paul. It, it's funny, in the podcast, I referred to him almost twice as Jody, um, which was <laughs> funny. Uh, we, we caught You'd ourselves. you demoting him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had a great time. Uh, Paul's got all these insightful experiences that we kept drawing on and, and the uh, the podcast ran a little bit longer. And, and to be honest with you, if we had hit the record button when we had gotten onto uh, Skype, uh, it would have went two hours, right? We had all this pre and post that took place. So it, it was a long time. Today, we are excited to have a special guest with us, a friend and author, Marcy Axelrod. She is an author of the book, CEO On Your Game. She's a management consultant, speaker, plus a super mom. We'll discuss with Marcy today how to achieve more across all domains of life, which we hope results in a better financial success. But first, let's talk about some news stories we saw this past week. Hey, Jody, the first news story is from the Tucson, what's the C, uh, Tucson.com, uh, is moving now your best financial move. This was an interesting story to me, Jody, as I read through it. Um, I think people are getting the bug that since most people are working from home, there's an opportunity to move to lower cost regions or, or make that move that they may have wanted to make before while they're working from home. Um, the one thing that struck me here is I think that working from home will probably end at some point for a lot of people. And you want to make the move for right reasons other than just a money savings. Um, so, Jody, what was your take on this story? Yeah, I agree with you, Paul, uh, and and probably prompted by, and I'm reminded of the story uh, that I heard recently about Facebook, where, uh, and they're not alone, where they gave their employees uh, the option to work from home either for six months or a year or some indefinitely, um, but then kind of pulled the rug out from under those people who made that move to a lower cost area and said, well, if you're going to live where it costs less to live where it costs less to live we're gonna pay you less than you were making uh which is kind of kind of like screwing them pretty much <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and you know it just boils down to look you move like you said paul you move for the right reason reasons to be closer to your family you know to eliminate a commute maybe because you got a better job maybe because you found a better house you want to live in a better school district you move for the right reasons right because moving as the article points out is expensive um, and even when you whittle down your costs and you do a really good job, it still costs a lot of money to move. The process of doing that costs a, a, a bundle of bucks. Um, so move for the right reasons. Don't move for the for the uh, the short term ones. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. Um, the second story that we have is from the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. Personal Finance 101. Should I use an app to budget? And, and Jody, I thought of you because you know we've talked about this many times in the past. My personal opinion is. I don't do too much budgeting uh, outside of my spreadsheet. Um, I don't like having 
my personal information aggregated from a budgetary perspective into some app where they have my personal info and my financial info. I do use apps though, right? I use my banking apps uh, for investment accounts uh, to get my pay stub, what, whatever those are, kind of I'll call them the financial necessity apps that keep me from having to go somewhere to get the information physically. Um, and I think those work well. Uh, but these app, these apps that they talk about, like Mint, and I know we've talked about this in the past. I just don't use them. I'd rather use my uh, my old, my good old fashioned spreadsheet. But maybe I'm a dinosaur when it comes to this. Uh, Jody, what was your take on this story? Yeah, I agree with you on this one. We've talked about this in the past too, Paul. Um, uh, and it, it, for me, it comes down to routing numbers, right? It's the routing number on your checking account that is the pass key to anyone being able to go into your account and take money out of it or do something that you don't authorize or individually authorize. Um, look, budgeting apps can be great, right? But budgeting apps are not gonna magically um, allow you to make more money or save more money or do something you weren't able to do later. That comes down to good old fashioned planning and that's where that Excel or, or Google spreadsheet comes in. Um, you know, you and I both rock the, the, the spreadsheet for our, our household budgets. We both do it in our own ways, and we've talked about that a lot in the past. You're on the macro, I'm on the micro. Um, but it, it comes down to just pulling your, rolling your sleeves up, sitting down with all of your accounts, sitting down with all the things that you, you know, what you make and what you pay every month, writing it down on a piece of paper, making sure that what's coming in is bigger than what's going out, putting what's left over into a savings account and getting at it. Uh, a, a, a budgeting app is not going to magically take care of that for you. And like we said, typically when you sign up for those budgeting apps, they ask you to put in your account number and your routing number, and that gives them potentially all kinds of access to your accounts. Um, and we've also posed this question in the past too, Paul, you know, what happens when those third party apps go away? Your, your financial information is floating out there somewhere and you don't know where it is. So no, I'm, I'm not a fan of these third party budgeting apps. Just grab a spreadsheet or even just a piece of paper and get at it. Yeah. I, I think we might cause a lot of stir for the listeners. Cause there, I know personally, there's some listeners that use the apps and they live by the apps. Um, so if they ever want to jump on the show and have the debate of the app versus non-app for budgeting. Uh, we're ready. Uh, of course, a friendly debate. So, well, in fact, um, and, I'd, and I'd love to hear that experience. I, I would really love to hear from someone who has been successful with one of those apps and sort of get their firsthand experience as to what they've done, what they've seen, what they've felt, and if, if things have gone right or wrong for them. I'd love to talk about that. Yep, so the invite's open. For any of our listeners that want to do that. So I think with that, we'll bring in our guest, Marcy Axelrod. This week, we'll do something a little bit different. As we said at the top of the podcast, we want to talk about achievement on a broader plane uh, of someone's life. And, and not just from a financial perspective, but from a life perspective, which uh, we hope will bring bring it back full circle to financials. Um, Jody, do you want to give the introduction yeah, absolutely. Uh, Marcy is the award-winning author of On Your Game. She's a management consultant, subject matter expert, and keynote speaker, uh, and a contributor to Forbes magazine. She speaks on innovation, achievement, strategy, and creativity, and, and she can probably talk about herself better than, better than we can, so we're going to bring her on the show. And Marcy, welcome to the show. And I think, Marcy, you are the first mom that we've had on Financial Dad, so, so congratulations on that, and welcome to the show. Well, Jody, thank you so much. And if I may say, I think it's high time that you have a mom on your show. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. 
I don't think that was intentional, right, Jody? I just think it was the flow of the history of the show. We it start- just struck me. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, we and we're going to put out a call to the moms. Marcy, you're the first, but we want to have more moms on Financial Dads as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Sounds appropriate and very helpful for your audience. Yeah. And this was a fascinating topic, um, and I started reading through the book, uh, Jody. I mean, Jody, Marcy. Uh, sorry, mixing up the names on the show. Um, I do all my reading on my iPad on gym equipment uh, at the gym, right? That's what I typically do. So that's where I have my highest concentration. So um, as I was going through my Kindle edition um, of the book, I was highlighting some things that were of great interest, especially around the topics of the, the game board which mm-hmm. I thought was fascinating. And we'll talk about that a little bit more deeper into the podcast. We'll take my real life example, maybe walk that through uh, to see how the game board might help me there. And and also kind of the, the interesting various stats that you had um, that were in there, which kind of ties to, um, you know, all these different pieces. And I know we'll start with uh, the, this over 70% in terms of the underachievement. So why don't we talk a little bit about that, Marcy? Mm-hmm. Sure, I'd be happy to. What my research shows, and the research goes back 20 years, is that the majority of people I speak with and who have, of course, responded to the surveys over time, they say they feel that they underachieve, right? That they significantly leave their you know, ideal identity on the table. And when it really comes down to, you know, forcing a number one through six or one one through 10, I say on the on your game scale, right, with 10 being you're achieving all you want and one being you've you've significantly not achieved. What's your number? And the most common number is a six or a five. Now, back in 2016, um, things started to trend up after the low point of the election. We got up to about a six and a half, and then we started going back down, largely because of the pandemic. But I mean, what it what it really means, right? I mean, most people want to be an eight or above, right? And we just aren't. And um, you know, the research, when we're ready to get into it, really points to just a very, very few uh, reasons why. And then there are some really clear, simple tools that we can turn to that I've been told have a significant impact on helping people get up toward those eights and nines. That's really interesting, Marcy. So tell me, what what goes into people rating themselves and getting them on that scale and and getting them to that eight? What, What do you ask people to look at in themselves? Well, the first thing that I do is I ask people to define what the phrase on your game means to them. Right, because I need to make sure that I've got both reliability and validity in in my data. And then I simply ask them to choose a number based on their own subjective perception of themselves. And they, they do so, and then after that, I ask them why they feel that way, and there's a lot of uh, qualitative data that I get. I should also mention that in the workshops and speeches that I give, it's very much of a, of, of a workshop environment. So people are telling both me and each other real time what their reasons are. And what I will say is that the objectively highest achieving people, right? So my workshops um, with alumni from Harvard, from, from Cornell and other places, um, often I get the lowest on game scores from the objectively highest achieving people because subjectively they feel that they should be doing more. 
And I think that's particularly fascinating because this is, it's a, it's a subjective measure because I mean, how we feel about our lives truly is. Yeah. I, I find that when I've, I've taken similar types of those sort of self introspective kind of surveys and, um, I, I'm someone who's typically my own worst critic, right? And even, even though I'm not a, even though I'm not a Harvard or a Yale grad, um, I typically give myself the hardest time, right? So when I, and you know, and I, and I feel like I do well in my in my professional life, but whenever I take those surveys, I always rate myself as like a six. You do. And do, you, do, you, do you find that you find that with people? That's exactly what I find. So, Jody, let's just dive in there, right? Because it's possible that the responses that you're going to give right here, right now, um, you know, match up pretty darn closely with the survey data over 20 years. So, do tell, why do you give yourself a six? I think because um, I always feel like in the back of my mind, there's something more I could be doing. There's mm -hmm. more I more I could have done. It didn't come out, you know, and I'm making it up, but that it didn't come out exactly the right way I wanted mm -hmm. to. Um, you know, it, it's that always sort of the voice in my back of my head, like you could have done a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Okay. And why do you think that is? Why could you have done more and you didn't? That's a great question, right? I love being put on the spot, but that's yeah. a great question. Um, I, I, I think it's just sort of this, I think it's this DNA thing, at least the way that I, you know, grew up and the way I was sort of programmed and, you know, parents will program their kids to act and think a certain way. Um, I think I was programmed to um, to always not only do my best, but to sort of, um, I'm, I'm trying to phrase this the right way, but sort of be exceptional. Mm. And, and that, and that mm. I don't want that to come out in sort of like a self-aggrandizing kind of way, but mm. but to sort of be, be exceptional, be, and it's not just be better than the other guy, but be the best version of you that you can be and you can always be improving. And I got to be honest, too. I think that, you know, now that I sit here and think about it, I kind of pass that along to my kids. So maybe I should <laughs> maybe I should sort of throttle back a little bit of the, the little bit of the exceptional stuff. <laughs> Well, I actually really, really support that. We all should try to be exceptional. And what I'll tell you is that there's some research that shows how powerful we all are. Um, this is from Nicholas Christakis. He was at Harvard for many years. He's been at Yale recently. And essentially, he traced behaviors through a social network. And I don't mean Facebook here. I mean person to person in, in the physical world. What he found is that the 20 people closest to each of us, right? These are the friends and colleagues and family who, who we interact with on a, you know, hopefully close to daily basis. They are actually 45% more likely to do what we do than others are. Hmm. But, it, but it doesn't stop there because each of those, those people have their, you know, 20 close circle folks. And they're actually 25% more likely to, to do what you do, right? And then the next group of people out, right? So your friends, 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 let's say, are still 10% more likely to do what you do. So you are passing, Jody, that high bar of exceptionalism down through three layers of people. So that's 8,000 people and that's just you. So as we go through the world, we are leaving a very, very big impact on people who we don't even know and will never meet. So I think grasping for that high bar is extremely important 
But of course, the mindset around it shouldn't be, I'm not sufficient until I get there. The mindset has to be, I am perfect because I am striving to do my best, right? We're all perfectly imperfect all the time, but mindset is so, so important. And I can, I can get more into that a little later. Very interesting. And, and Jody, as you were speaking, it felt like I was, you were speaking for me. I, I felt like I had the same experience. And, and the one thing that jumped out to me while we were going through that, and it was very fascinating, was, was the why, right? These internal reasons, the, the external impacts. I think these are some of the things you talk about in the book. And, and why do we think we're, we're, we're built that way? Why do we think most people are thinking in the way that Jody and I are kind of um, thinking? Well, first, I think a lot of people are not thinking they need to be exceptional. What my research shows is that people have certain things in their mind that they want to achieve. And most of us really don't get there sufficiently, right? So there, we, we give ourselves a six. That's the most common answer that I get in addition to being the, the average. What people do tell me about what gets in their way are two internal things plus a number of external things, right? So the the internal things is that there are these challenges that exist, be it a relationship with our kid, with our spouse, something we don't like about our work, our weight, whatever it may be, and we don't take sufficient steps to address it. So I call that letting these off-game impacts fester. They just sit there. And as they sit there, they wear us away. They take away our discipline. They take away our happiness. And then we get into this cycle of just, you know, indulgences to help us feel better, be it, you know, binge watching Netflix, um, extra, you know, that extra drink, um, sleeping in, you know, so, so that's, that's one set of things that, that we do. And in essence, it really bumps us off our game because we aren't being volitional about it. We're kind of letting ourselves get in our, our own way and we're just letting it fester. So we become kind of victims, if you will, of our own inaction because we don't know what to do. We think that whatever we need to do is too effortful and it's too big a step. And that's what the game board is meant to help with. But the, the other set of things that, we, that people tell me from, uh, from my research is that they're not taking enough time to plan. And of course, not setting up for success is basically setting up to not succeed, right? So either plan to succeed or you're, you basically plan, plan to fail. Mm. And yeah, so, so because of that, I invented something that I called the on-game pyramid that essentially is just an updated version of Maslow's hierarchy of, of needs. And it talks about basic things like sleep, nutrition, sufficient time with family and friends, all of those things that, that nourish us. And when we identify on the pyramid where we've created a deficit, right? And sleep is a big one. Um, we can then work on filling that deficit. And in doing so, we get much, much more discipline back. We can plan, we can um, focus better on what our goals are and also take those steps to remove the off-game impacts, right? Those those challenges festering in the background. Interesting. The, the one thing that jumps out 
to me, Marcy, and, and this is something I talked about a little bit on last week's podcast with um, our friend Paul Becker, is I tend to, to actually do the opposite. I, I tend to over plan, especially in my personal life, not so much in my professional career, you know, day to day job that I'm, I'm much better at doing this. But in my personal life, I have this uh, habit of over planning. And then I just keep planning and I call it analysis paralysis. Right. How does that play in to, um, to to being on your game? So you're getting in your own way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's bumping you off your game because you aren't getting things done. And the way it factors in is just that you need to use the game board, which says notice, decide, act. That's all it says. Notice, decide, act. Okay. So notice what you're doing. And when I say notice, I mean, really pause, right? So don't, don't go into that zoom call with, with the, um, set of, um, partners where you have that lump in your stomach and you say, this is going to go the way it always goes. Right. And they're, they're going to inhibit the recommendation and nothing's going to change. Right. Actually notice how you feel and say, I'm going to make a very, very slight change. Right. Maybe you do more small talk at the beginning to kind of relate to the people. Maybe you um, take a different approach to describing your recommended change, right? Whatever it is, you make a small change because you've truly noticed what's happening and you're not going to just um, be kind of a human doing and charge through. You're actually going to be a human being. So once you notice what to do, you decide what your change is going to be, you take the action. and it can be really, really small. There's a lot of science behind the immense power of tiny steps. Take a very, very tiny step. And in doing so, you are adding a volitional impact, right? You are t- using your own intent to drive change. You're no longer a victim. And because you've then changed your relationship with the planning, you are now less likely to just keep planning and you're far more likely to actually take that deliberate action because it's a very, very small thing. That's interesting, Marcy. You are describing um, something very similar to the way that I run both my personal and my professional life. And and Paul and I use this phrase to describe how each other um, runs our household budget, which is the majority of what we talk about here on on the podcast. Um, and I use the micro approach, right? I have a spreadsheet that would make your eyes cross. It's got 47,000 lines and it's got, it's planned out by week and it's down, it's down to the penny, right? It's fabulous. Um, and, and I, and I break that and then I have my, my reminder app in my computer, which is literally got, you know, all, all these little things set up, do this today, do this on Saturday, do this, you know, two weeks from now. And they just come up and, and I basically kind of check them off, um, as I go through my day and through my week. Um, and that gives me the ability to avoid what Paul describes, which is analysis paralysis, which is I'm a rabbit hole guy, right? I will go down a rabbit hole without an invitation. So I keep myself on my game by creating this set of little teeny tiny bite-sized jobs right. that I that I can execute, you know, literally 30 seconds at a time. Bang, 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 bang. And, and it takes a little bit of setup and a little bit of um, sort of maintenance and curation as you go, but I find that it makes me a far more productive person 
Mm. Um, and it avoids me, you know, sitting down for an hour researching something because I've already done a little bit of that and set it up in a reminder or put it into a spreadsheet so I can just go, yep, that's that, that's that, that's that, we're good and we're on to the next. That is so fabulous, Jody. So now we get to talk about the positive spiral that happens, right? So how do you feel when the reminder comes up and you take the action, you get it done? You know, there's two, there's two reactions that I have when a reminder comes up. So one is the, oh great, I'll do that, bang. And I hit it and I click the link or I execute the thing and it's, or I send the email and it's done. The other one is that I look at it and I go, oh, do I have to do that today? <laughs> maybe i can push that off to tomorrow yeah we'll push that off to tomorrow so i i'm sort of i'm sort of you know of two minds there when it when it comes to that stuff but i i gotta tell you the satisfaction level of being able to check the thing off the list whether even if it's going to come up again tomorrow because it's a daily thing is is extraordinarily satisfying mm-hmm I'm so glad you brought up both of those things, right? So first, what I heard you say, Joni, is that you you notice you made a commitment to yourself to do it. It shows up. You recognize that you don't want to do it in the moment, right? So now you need to summon some version of discipline and you need to make a decision, right? Now, if you're depleted, right, you haven't slept sufficiently, you're unhappy about various things, you're far more likely to just push it off. Sometimes that's fine, right? If you're using some something like the on-game pyramid that has this set of activities that give us discipline, right, like sufficient nutrition, sufficient time with family and friends, right? Applying some semblance of emotional in intelligence, those things feed us. And then we can make a good decision. It doesn't mean that we're not gonna decide that tomorrow's a better day, but what it leads us to do is to feel better about our choice and then we're far more likely to take action when the time comes. Yeah, that, that is, uh, I agree completely on that. And it, it reflects what Paul and I have also talked about on the podcast. Um, specifically related to budgeting, which is being intentional with your money, right? Setting the intention for what you're going to do with that paycheck, with that bill, with that thing that you want to accomplish um, and, and going and doing it as opposed to allowing it to wash over you and sort of, to use your phrase, being a victim, you mm -hmm. know, and allowing the situation to happen to you. That's exactly right. So being in control, right? Making your choices and owning those choices is a huge part of being on game. If you let life push you around, you're not gonna feel good. It doesn't matter how objectively high achieving you are. You are not gonna feel good about your life. You're gonna go to bed feeling un unsatisfied. You aren't gonna sleep well. You're gonna be kind of beating yourself up emotionally. And this is really unhelpful. What you wanna do is flip it around so that you've got this positive on-game spiral going. And recognize though, that very small steps make a huge difference. You don't have to clean off the whole desk. You don't have to reinvent your marriage, right? You don't have to get the, the new job. What you need to do is take a step toward it because you, you in, in doing so, you are far more likely to actually get there. There was a study out of uh, Stanford about people trying to lose a lot of weight. Uh, this was done in 2018 and uh, it focused on 40 pounds. People wanted to lose 40 pounds. 
And some people were not given any guidance. That's the control group. Other people were, were told, okay, two pounds. You're only going to lose two pounds. And it turns out that the people who focused on two pounds and then they did it and felt great. And then another two pounds and another two pounds were far more likely not just to be successful at the 40 pound level. So they actually lost the 40 pounds. They were far more successful in keeping it off. And there's an interesting nuance that they discovered as well, which is that once the people passed the 20 pound mark, so halfway there toward the really big goal, they were advised to refocus their mind now on the 40 pounds. So, and those people did even better. So you take tiny step, tiny step, tiny, tiny step. But then once you've accomplished something really big, you say, I've all, I'm already halfway there. Then you flip it to the really big goal because you've gained so much confidence that it's then even more effective to focus on the bigger goal, but only once you're halfway there. So there's really a lot of very specific science about how to achieve those bigger goals. And it all starts with the baby step. Yeah, that's very interesting because I could relate to that completely. I know from a savings perspective and also a weight loss perspective, when I had lost uh, a lot of weight a number of years ago, we talked about this on the podcast, I sort of used that same methodology of that um, I was focused on a pound a week, right? That was the idea. And and kind of just looking at those iterative goals. Um, same thing with the mortgage pay down, right, Jody? I think we've talked about this when I was paying down my mortgage and paying it off. That was the idea. It was these little chunks, right? Every time you could put more money towards the the mortgage, I would track it. But I would track it in a spreadsheet so I could see all these little steps adding up. So that was kind of my my way forward. So I, I think I do a, a little bit of this in some areas of my life and then probably not in others. And that's what I'm trying, I struggle with. Um, maybe we could jump into that real world example, um, uh, Marcy, that we talked about uh, prior to starting the podcast today. And that's around personal investing. I think that for me, um, I've been hesitant to invest outside of uh, my retirement monies. And, and I don't know why I have this blocker there. And I've tried to kind of unblock it and, and look at research and, 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 and try to figure out, you know, how to get my non-retirement money to grow because we all know in these times, bank accounts are not paying anything, right? The most you'll get is less than 1% on your money. So this is something I've been struggling with. So maybe we could walk through that from a game board perspective. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. So let's start with the notice. So specifically, what is it that you're noticing you're not doing or, or are doing that's an off game impact? I, I guess what happens is, uh, so the example would be, I want to take a thousand dollars, right? Or, or, you know, um, yeah, let's say a thousand dollars. And I want to take that from a very safe, comfy bank account, which hardly pays any interest and put it into, let's say, a mutual fund. Mm -hmm. And that mutual fund has the potential to grow. That mutual fund has a potential to not grow or devalue, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so that's an interesting thing to me is I have this fear of losing my money, right? <laughs> so, and the fear in my retirement account is not as much because I know I have this long window. Um, it's getting less and less, but I have this longer window to invest in, and it's money that I can't touch and it's money that is kind of 
in in a spot where okay if i lose a little bit this year hopefully they'll make it up next year and i have a hard time struggling uh or correlating that to my money that's not in retirement because i feel if i work very hard and i put a thousand dollars and i save a thousand dollars put it in the bank and then I invest in something, and then two weeks later I look at it, and there's eight hundred dollars, and I've lost two hundred. Um, right. I think that's my fear, right? And I don't know how. Maybe it's a bigger issue than just using the the uh, the game board. But I would love to kind of walk through some of the baby steps and how I can maybe um, get myself to to dive deep and 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 pull the trigger on on, on investing. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to apply the, the game board here. So essentially what you're doing is you're is you're creating um, an emotional roadblock, right? Which is evolutionary, right? It's been very well documented that we feel uh, losses and negative things like fear far more deeply than we feel gains and benefits and rewards. Maybe previous guests have, have spoken about this, but and we know where this comes from, right? I mean, the the you know way way back when we lived in the savanna, the people who heard the rustle in the bush and assumed it was a tiger ready to eat them, those people were far more likely to survive, right? While the people who thought, oh, that's just the wind, got eaten by the tiger, right? Mm. So, <laughs> so this is why you're feeling what you're feeling, right? But essentially, you feel stuck. Okay, you feel stuck because you you are feeling the weight of a potential loss for far far more than the benefit of a gain. We also know that intellectually, and and you um, know this as well, that over you know ten or fifteen years, a loss of of two hundred dollars next month doesn't really matter because over fifteen years, you're likely to get some kind of established level of returns, which now is somewhere probably between what five and eight percent, maybe. Mm. maybe 10% if you're in some kind of equity fund, right? So what you've noticed is that what you're doing is not rational, it's emotional. You've got to make a decision that as an investor, you're not going to be an emotional investor, right? And then what the next act would, would be is basically looking at what you believe to be the um, relevant indicators of you know funds or whatever the the potential investments are over over the term that you're really going to leave the money there and then simply moving that i mean that's that's just the very basic process yeah that's very that's very interesting i think for me um and i i keep telling myself i will do it but i i swear this weekend this is my my goal was to and maybe we talked about a little earlier with the baby steps maybe in this scenario um buying five hundred dollars worth of a mutual fund right would be a lot less scary than a thousand dollars or five thousand dollars right so maybe it starts with me picking two mutual funds and investing five hundred dollars a piece just to get the ball rolling and kind of do the wait and see and then hopefully right i the the scariness goes away i get over that fear of the initial push the button put my money on the line risk it and kind of mm -hmm. get to, okay, maybe the following weeks I'll put $1,000 and maybe it'll be $2,000 and try to figure out what that looks like. Is that kind of, is that kind of in line with, um, with, with, with what you're saying in terms of, I've heard Jody say it before as well, is kind of taking these baby steps through life for some of these items that seem very daunting um, at first, but if you kind of tackle it one step at a time, um, you'll make progress. Mm -hmm. 
And you said it as well with the weight loss. So both of you kind of said the same thing. I feel like this is a therapy session for me today, which is great. So I thank you both. (laughs) You are welcome. So the true baby step would be a dollar. Take one dollar, right? Make it so small that it's ridiculous not to do and you feel no emotional aversion to it. You can eat, I mean, frankly, you could start with a penny, right? But start really, really, really small. So put your $1 in. The other thing I would counsel you to do is obviously stop looking at it. If you're not going to need it for 15 years, just leave it alone. Like looking at it is probably one of your biggest (laughs) issues, right? Start so small that you don't feel compelled to look at it. Yeah, that that is interesting. So I think I am motivated to 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 do it this weekend. Uh, I, like I said, I keep I have kept myself on the sidelines from doing this, but maybe after this podcast, that'll be my this will be my motivation to at least do a small amount, small amount in my world, right? To to kind of okay, I'll just just put this X amount in and see how it goes, and hopefully that'll take the the fear away of me you know, adding more into it. Um, one of the other things that uh, we wanted to talk about is the on-game pyramid. So I, I guess we talked a bit about the game board. Do you want to talk a little bit more about the on-game pyramid? Sure, Paul. So I've referenced the pyramid before. Essentially what this is is um, three layers of um, pursuits that act as the foundation to give us the discipline, right, to en- enable us to think productively so that we can make good decisions. So the lower layer has really basic things, right? Healthy food choices, you know, exercise, sleep, spiritual pursuits, that basic level of things that we need so that we can feel good about ourselves and function, right? So I, I call those the social emotional mindset choices. Once we've invested in enough time and effort into that foundation, we can get up to the mid-level on the pyramid, which are really time investment choices. Um, What are we choosing to do with our time? Are we spending it sufficiently with family and friends, right? Things that really nourish us. Are our professional pursuits what we really want to be spending our time doing? And are are we spending too much time there? And then um, are we putting sufficient time into leisure, into um, other interests and, and hobbies that fuel us? Because what my research shows is that when we leave important things on the sidelines, right? Those hobbies are in the past. We haven't picked up a book, right? We're, we're off game. And we need these basic things in place. And the more we invest in this on-game bank account, as I call it, the better decisions we can make. And then we get to the pinnacle of the pyramid, which are really self-fulfilling things, right? This is our mindfulness. This is our compassion. This is feeling abundant. So all these things reinforce each other. And what the pyramid does is it, it, it just compartmentalizes things. So you can look at this and immediately like laser into right here. This is where I've dropped the ball. This is where my bank account has a deficit. And I'm going to focus right here, be it time time with family and friends or mindset of optimism and resilience and and then regain so much benefit when it comes to invoking, you know, that notice decide act process so that you can remove those off-game obstacles that really pull us down. 
That's yeah. really great, Marcy. And and something else that occurred to me as I was listening to you and Paul was um, maybe the importance of celebrating accomplishments or victories, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's great to plan. It's great to uh, sort of execute your plan. Um, how important is it to also celebrate victories and not necessarily, you know, losing all 40 pounds, for instance, but losing that first two in your example? Jody, thank you for bringing that up. Celebrating and feeling successful is essential. It is so reinforcing. I mean, I'm one of these uninhibited people who literally like put my arms in the air and I jump for joy. And I don't just do it, you know, once a decade when something. Wait a minute, you too? You do that too? I do it. Too. I've even done it in public. <laughs> my my teenage girls are not fans, <laughs> but Jody, it is it is so important to constantly um, feel viscerally the achievements that we have on a daily basis, right? When you look at the kitchen and it's clean, right? When you've prepared that that healthy meal for your family, when you have you know thought through how you want a business meeting to go and it goes well, or even if it just goes better, right? Feel that internal validation of, I did it. I made a decision, I acted on it, it went the way I wanted, and it was great. Now, let me add just one thing. Learning from failure should also be celebrated. Anything that goes wrong is a step on the path to achieve. And you probably could not have achieved without that step. So celebrate that as well. Oh, absolutely. That is that is the scientific mantra, right? I mean, any anybody who deals with science or engineering or anything else celebrates the you know the bridge falling down as much as they do the bridge staying up, as an example, because they know that if the bridge fell down, you built it the wrong way, and we're not going to do it that way. We're going to do it a different way, right? Um, Hopefully there was no one on the bridge when it fell down, but you get you get my point. <laughs> I get I get what you mean. Yeah, let me bring some dollars and cents into that example, right? How many of us during the volatility in February pulled a bunch of money out of investments and parked it in cash? Now we know, we know that trying to time the market and reacting to volatility is not in our favor but but how many of us said you know damn it i need to rely on those funds sometime in the next three to five years and i'm just going to park it in cash now i did that had i done that let's just say there would be an extra six figures in my account now right but you know what i needed to do it because i needed i needed to rely on that money but damn it i learned i learned And sometimes you just have to do it and make that mistake and feel it and be upset with yourself. (laughs) Experience is the best teacher for sure. All right. Lord knows the election's coming up and the volatility is going to be with us. So people don't put your cash in the market when it's going up and down, right? If you want to pull money on the side, do it when you're not feeling that emotional stress, right? Do it when it's a it's a cognitive choice as opposed to an emotional one. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I I actually had that pang of 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 of, of timing the market, right? Where I thought that I would be able to um, 
maybe I should pull some of the money out. I didn't, right? I kind of, and once again, it's been in my uh, retirement funds. Um, one th- last thing I want to wrap up on uh, before we before we uh, end the podcast for today, and we could talk forever on this. So thank you, Marcy, for this. Some of the external off game factors. I know we've talked about them throughout the podcast, but what are some of the key ones that you want to kind of dig a little deeper into maybe before we wrap for today? Yeah, thank you, Paul. These are really, really important. In fact, the second half of the book, like the whole second half is about how the external world can knock us off our game. And it's also the subtitle on our book, right? Um, Which is specifically um, succeed in a world designed to knock us off our game. So let me talk about a few of these things, right? Now, there's our culture, right? There's other people. There's our technology. And aspects of each of these can propel us more on our game, right? They can make us higher achieving or they can knock us off. Now, the more aware we are of the things that knock us off, obviously, the more we can try to not have that detrimental impact, right? And then, of course, to also harvest the positive. So specifically what a few of these things are, I mean, you know, the the pandemic has really made um, our separateness as people very palpable, right? We are told, stay away from other people, right? And um, this has been part of our culture for a very, very long time, right? We we respect... um, privacy, let's say, right? When we're with a lot of people in the city, we don't stare into each other's eyes. We look away. And really what's happened is we we went from an evolutionary um, togetherness, right? Like think back to the Roman forum. Life happened to the marketplace, right? People came together every day. Socrates taught there, right? There were elections there and speeches and, and processions. And being with each other was part of our daily life. And as things evolved, we've got this culture now of separateness, even in the elevator, damn it. I mean, how how many of us say a nice hi and strike up a, a discussion? Um, what this has led us to, as you you know might have heard about these epidemics, right, of loneliness, of depression, right? I mean, I, I hate to mention suicide, but you know, Lord knows the statistics are that it's up 30% in the past 20 years. In teens, a whopping 70%, right? Technology has a big impact there as as well. But I mean, essentially, this is bumping us off game, right? On-game living really recognizes that we're part of a system and we're social animals. We need other people, right? How many of us have actually gotten that, that job lead that changed our lives from an informal discussion with someone we bumped into, right? This is just the reality of the nonlinear life that we lead. Things don't take a straight path. And often the the offhanded opportunistic discussion with someone is what really helps us. So wanted to, to mention that, um, you know, a big aspect of that also, of, of, of um, that separateness in our society is that it has lowered our empathy, right? So recent studies show that our empathy is 40% below where it used to be. I mean, what does this mean? Like what it means is that we don't care about other people. Hmm. We think it's about us. Um, we think our, our achievement and our success is about us. And, and you know, as the statistics from, from Nicholas Christakis and in his book Connected, what they show is that 
we impact other people, they impact us. We really, really need to be more externally focused and to take responsibility for how we interact with the world, right? And not to let others separateness, others kind of seeming re seemingly re like rejecting us, not spending time with us, looking away, right? Not saying hi. Um, we can't let that bump us off our game and we can't interact that way because it's knocking us off our game. So that's some aspects of our culture. Um, just, just quickly, you know, other, other people, I wanted to mention priming here, right? There's this, um, famous study called the Florida effect, um, done by the Nobel prize winning economist and, and, and psychologist, um, Daniel Kahneman and the late Amos Tversky. Um, it's, um, it's written in the book, thinking fast and slow. That's a bestseller, but, but really the, you know, it's important for us to recognize that we are unconsciously primed by the world around us. In the Florida Effects study, uh, students came in and they were simply told, make forward sentences out of these words. The words were things like um, wrinkled, bald, gray, for forgetful. And then the people were told, you know, wait at the end of the hall and we'll, we'll be right with you. What was really being studied was how the people walked down the hall. Hmm. So the researcher comes over and asks, did you notice anything different about your behavior after you made the sentences? The people said no. In fact, they insisted that they didn't do anything different after they had made these four word sentences. I mean, why should they, right? But it turns out they walked significantly more slowly down the hall. And they said, no, there's no way, there's no way. But what really went on is that they were unconsciously impacted with this whole concept of, of elderly. I mean, look, look at these words, wrinkled, bald, mm. Florida, right? And they changed their behavior, yet they swore they didn't. So these are some of the ways that the world around us primes us to behave. Now think about, I mean, all the, the, the videos, the friends, the um, advertisements, all of this is having a very, very masterfully huge unconscious impact on us. And we can live more on game if we simply recognize this and bring a level of consciousness to us and say, I'm not gonna be changed by the fact that I just saw a ton of violence in this movie or you know, explicit sex that wasn't uh, potentially um, a productive thing for us to be viewing, right? So those are some of the external things and um, thank you, Paul, for uh, giving me the opportunity to, to share this. I think it's very important for the audience, for our listeners to recognize this. Yeah, I, and I think to your point, and this was this was amazingly powerful, right? Uh, we need to understand our impact on others and and be more on our game by using you know these tools and the writings in the book and and taking these small steps um, to make sure we're getting those impacts. That's right. Very cool. Very cool. Well, usually, Marcy, we end the podcast with kind of the takeaways from from the day, and and I'll start for me. 
Um, thank you very much for coming on to the show. And I hope everyone goes out and, and buys this book, right, on your game. Uh, it's available on Kindle uh, or a physical copy. I guess people are still reading physical copies. Uh, like I said at the top of the podcast, I use I use my, kin, my uh, Kindle app on my iPad most of the time. Uh, for me, the big takeaway was these baby steps. And, and I think I this brought out in me, you know, and I think my immediate action this weekend is to put – X amount of dollars in two mutual funds I've been eyeballing. So that's my goal for today is to get those done and see where that takes me. So I, I thought that was fascinating. Uh, Jody, what were some of your takeaways from today? Yeah, I think uh, the main thing that Marcy, uh, and this was a great conversation, fascinating listening to you explain all this stuff. Um, the, the, my big takeaway is know thyself. You know, know what you're good at, know what you're not good at, focus in on perhaps what you're not good at and analyze why, and then try to dig down underneath and, and see if you can change those behaviors. And also, I think we, uh, we touched on it, you touched on it, um, but making sure that you're doing things that nourish you as a person, spending time with your family, eating well, exercising, doing all those kind of maintenance kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, that are so important to your success and your happiness. Um, so those those are my two big takeaways from today. And thanks for being on the show. Well, my pleasure, Jody and Paul. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, and Marcy, any any takeaways? Any uh, we'll put, we'll post the the link to your book on our Facebook page at financialdads.com. It takes you right to our Facebook page. Is there any other items that we want to talk about today to have our listeners plug into you? I know that you've written a number of articles on LinkedIn and and Forbes. And uh, we want to give you an opportunity to, to give us a little bit more of that information so our listeners could go grab it. Yeah. Um, so certainly on LinkedIn, on Forbes, I give speeches to uh, you know groups, to companies around the world. Um, um, yeah. Just reach out to me. The website is onyourgame.today. And uh, for LinkedIn, it's Marcy Strauss Axelrod. Oh, and on Amazon, you can find me too. Um, there's a there's an author page that should have. And I I like, click to follow you, Marcy. I'm following you on Amazon. <laughs> thanks so much, Paul. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Jody and Marcy, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Hopefully, we'll have you back on the show at some point, Marcy, again, and we could continue this conversation because it has been fascinating. Um, thanks everyone for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Jody reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well and thank you. 